Welcome to the Eat, Slay, Live podcast. And we are the Loxicutioners. We will be eating lightning and talking thunder and pimp slapping you right in the ear holes. Right off the bat, I got to bring it back up. Why the change in music again? Well, if you see that little video I did with uh, Marcos Polito, Deputy Chief of Alton. I did catch that one. I, I might have made up the fact that he wanted a walkout song. I might have made that. <laughs> okay. So, and then we get our next guest on, and he says, well, I want my walkout song to be... Oh, this is becoming a thing now. I guess so. And so he <laughs> said, I want Rolling Stones uh, Paint It Black. Now, you won't know this, but a, a long time ago when I was a kid, there was a, a sitcom on, a drama called uh, Tour of Duty. One season, and it was about Vietnam, these guys over in Vietnam... And the opening song was this song. Uh, and so our, you know, as our, as you know, our guest has he has a uh, has a military background as well as his whole family. So. And, and we'll talk about that. So I'm a little, I'm extra excited today. A little different feeling than when it was just me and you in here. We got our first guest right today. And, so yep. And is he seeing how amateurish we are at this? <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, did. Did you catch the last the uh, last dance this weekend? I did. I mean, it's, it's what I I have felt like in the last two Sundays, as if like the final four was on. I'm so excited <laughs> on Friday, Saturday, waiting for just this documentary. But right, I feel like right. it's like a, a game on, like the final four, NCAA championship, or exactly. something like that. Well, of course, uh, I feel like it's a heavyweight title fight. Oh, exactly. <laughs> what uh, what have your thoughts been on it, real quick? I like it. I mean, I, I, I mean, everybody's going. It's amazing. It's amazing. I, I mean, it's really good. I mean, kind of knew the story already. Um, I mean, I, I think we like it because we want that nostalgia feeling. Do you know what I'm saying? Because that's the era sort of we were raised. But I'll tell you what I don't like. I don't like how they're trying to be all cutesy with the, with the, like, first they're back in the first season and then they're to the last season. It comes bouncing back and forth. Agree with you know that. Yeah. About like, especially it, it, in the episode one and two. They really jumped around. Like, all of a sudden, you're in Jordan's rookie year, and then, boom, you're in Italy or France where they're playing an exhibition. It's like... You can't build up any momentum when you're watching it on one story because you're like, oh, it's getting good. All of a sudden, boom, they they flash forward Yeah. without really even telling. They'll go to commercial break, and the next thing you know, it's 1993. I think this is some real nitpicky stuff right here because it's been freaking... Great. I mean, let's. Great. If if we're not gonna nitpick it, I mean, it's been an A plus so far. They're hey, ESPN. They're going. They're uncensored. Jordan's like, well, how bad's the fucking headache? I mean, I I I love <laughs> what, that what stuff. What was that part? Tell tell me that part again. I remember him saying. Okay, that, so his, but... his second year, fifteen games into the year, um, he gets he breaks his ankle or whatever, mm-hmm. messes up some tendons. And uh, so him and this doctor are arguing about if he should come back and play that year because they're on, they have the eighth seed of the playoffs. So they're on the verge of making the playoffs. Um, and so the doctor is telling him like, well, Michael, let me break it down to you like this. If you come back and play, there's a 90% chance that, uh, that you don't get hurt. Okay. But there's a 10% chance that you get hurt. And if you re-hurt that ankle, your career is over. Okay. So Jordan's like, well, there's a 90% chance it won't happen then. I'm playing. The doctor's like, all right, let, let me put it simpler. You have a really bad headache. I have 10 pills. Nine of them 
will take away your headache. One of them will kill you. Would you take one of the pills? And he says, how bad's the fucking headache? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's what that's that's a champion statement, right? There. Yeah. That's what champions are. That's what that's made what him, makes him. That's what made him different. Yes. You know, and in that also, where then all of a sudden he like he was secretly going back to North Carolina, playing on that ankle. He said he was rehabbing, but he's just going there and playing. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, the next yeah. the next big thing that um that me it, to me and you. Mm-hmm. Beastie Boys documentary. We watched it together. Watched it together. That was cute. Yeah, it was cute. You know, but that was an influence you had on my life growing up. It was music was a big mm-hmm. thing, and Beastie Boys was was one of them. I mean, that was that was my favorite band growing up. Um, just their you know their their unseriousness rap, where it was just kind of a good time. And right. um, it, it, we both went to the same. We both saw them live. So we didn't go together. You were in high school, and uh, I think I was right out of college, but. In 1998, we saw them, the Hello Nasty tour. I don't know if we need to bring that up because no, it was a it's, disappointment. It's, <laughs> it was not what we thought we were going to get. It still hurts my heart a little bit. <laughs> but but yeah. it was it was good insight on some things with the Beastie Boys that you wouldn't have known. Like, you know their first CD, License to Kill. Or, or, Ill. Ill. License to Ill right off the bat. Blew up. Right. And then they weren't ever quite that big again. I mean, they had their peaks. and But um, you what we didn't know was that they had that successor off the bat and then boom they flopped where they basically lost everything i mean they had zero dollars they had these ferraris and porsches like little apartments like the college (laughs) yes and how young they were when when it all popped off was very impressive their meteor rise and then their uh their just collapse their drop was and they were only like 21 years old they were at the top of the world and then they were at the bottom and like they show them like driving this old junker car around after they and i was shocked and i didn't know the story i was shocked at like how they really uh dissed on like russell simmons like with def jam yeah wow i didn't know that story i didn't either because normally things like that happen you hear about it sort of like with the easy e nwa that whole thing you hear about it didn't hear anything about that yeah you know yep but um, I, I really thought their thing last night, though, I, it was it was a little scripted. Definitely scripted. I didn't like the, um, you know, I, it's on Apple TV. And what mm-hmm. my feeling was like, it was kind of like a Steve Jobs going out and like yes. on stage in front of everybody. Like, here's the new iPhone, like introduction. Right. I didn't like that feel. I, I wanted either. them like back theater. to yeah. back to the last dance. Sit those guys down yeah. in the living room or separately. somewhere. Separately. Yeah, separately. Candidly. And go Candidly. back and forth with the same questions and stuff like that. They acted out a play up. Yes, it was, what, it was a play. Let's hear them candidly. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Give them, give them a little bourbon and a cigar like Jordan had. <laughs> Just let them, <laughs> let them go. Let, let them go at it, you know? So, so. Um, we're not going to touch base on this too much, but uh, with the obvious going on right now, how, how you hold? I, all I want, how you holding up right now? How am I holding up? How you holding up? <laughs> Your gym's closed right now. How you holding up? I'm, I'm living life. You living life. I, I am finding yeah. things to do. Finding things to do. Good. Just, Good. You know, just not making any money. How about <laughs> you? How's, how's it going here at the Brick House? I mean, we're not making the money we've been making. A, you know, we're down fifty percent or so, which is, locals are supporting you though. Locals are supporting us. I mean, here's the thing: um, where we make our money, in all places like mine, is mm-hmm. you make money in alcohol sales. You know, that's where, that's where your bigger markup is. Mm-hmm. Us, we're fortunate enough to have the hall. That's a big money maker for right. us. You have to sell so much food, and especially, you know, us, we don't have $20 meals. You know, we, we reasonably price our meals. Um, 
And so uh, we're not sh- making a whole lot of money off food. So you got to sell so much freaking food to make money. And but we're doing the best we can. You don't have a twenty dollar meal unless you come in and do the build a burger like I do. <laughs> exactly. Put, put it all on there. I want my guacamole and some couple fried eggs. <laughs> Speaking of eggs, your uh, your video the other day, your six shot challenge. You really put that thing on top of its head, man. <laughs> hey, you got to go hard to go home, bud. I mean, you asked me how I'm doing. What, what else are we going to do around the Thunderdome? But you know, I was impressed eggs. by how you put those down. You were? I I thought... You never see, first of all, you don't say crap like that, so I know you mean it. Yeah. No, I know I, you mean I, it. I, there's no way I could have taken six eggs, put them in a glass, and just drank them all at once. And you two, did it fairly quickly. Two, two things about that. One, I had a trash can sitting right off screen <laughs> so i had a safety net just in just in case uh two i did a 24-hour fast yesterday and that helps i wouldn't know what you think i don't know i was 20 hours into it so i went another four hours without eating afterwards so uh yeah and that probably boosted your metabolism well i don't know what I don't, <laughs> and and let me bring this up my favorite part of the video was your shirt Land of the Free. Well, that's an Under Armour shirt. So Land of the, the Free. free. He crosses right be- out free. Right before I did it, I took a marker and I crossed out free. That's how you it feels right now. With my veteran hands, I crossed out free. Hey, let's let's say hey, we got a real vet here. <laughs> that is hurtful. So, hey, so, I, I mean, we can't. Let's, let's, let's introduce. Let's, I'll let you do it. Well, Inter- okay. introduce our man here. He's a cobra flying, law abiding, Tesla driving, dog raising, pride praising, marathon running, beer chugging, son of a gun! Woo! What an introduction! We, we got Dave Galanti here in the studio, the Brick Studios, with us. Well, can I get a cheers on that? Get Ross? a cheers on that. Cheers on Dave. that, Dave. Cheers. Cheers. Welcome Ross. to the studio. Happy, Thank you. Happy day one thousand two hundred and thirty-seven of the uh, quarantine. <sighs> Just so everybody knows. We got Dave behind a, 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 a virus-proof plexiglass uh, wall, so nothing can penetrate that. <laughs> so welcome, welcome, Dave, to the Eat, Slay, Live podcast. Thanks, brother. Uh, I think you're our first guest uh, here in the Brick Studio to, to go on with us. Do you have any comments you want to get into the first 10 minutes of the show that we just talked about? <laughs> have you been watching The Last Dance? I have. Uh, I I watched the first episode. I got halfway through it. My wife told me, I want to watch that too, so I couldn't finish it. So that's how far (laughs) I'm into it. See, it's getting everybody. And we're going to probably reference Dave's wife a lot in here, okay? I think she, you know, where uh, Margaret is is first sergeant. First sergeant Margaret, okay? Kim, his wife, is sort of a a protege (laughs) of of the sergeant (laughs) Margaret... uh, wife slash mom boot camp okay so sergeant kim his his wife who is a friend of mine a friend of yours and so we're probably going to reference her a lot for one just because uh we got some funny things to say about her and two she'll kill us if we don't true so so did you watch episode three and four no i'm halfway through episode one Uh, so you had to stop you guys didn't okay i gotcha what about uh beastie boys not catch fan. that. Were you were you a Beastie Boys fan? Nope, they were a little bit uh, late for me. Okay, yeah. okay. How you holding up during the quarantine? Doing fine. Uh, ready to get back to work like everybody else, but you know, managing to uh, get some runs in and 
you know, lift some weights in my basement and, and, and go to work. I'm essential, which shows you how screwed up our society you're so, is. You're so essential. <laughs> that lawyers are considered essential. Pretty messed but up. But the courthouse is closed right now, right? Correct. Yeah. And in my so, world, in the work comp world, uh, it's emergency hearings only. But we're still gotcha. doing doing business, and I'm working a skeleton crew with my gals. Cool. Keep everybody safe. There you go. Nice. So we're just going to kind of jump right into it, and uh, we're just going to kind of start out chronologically, you know, like where you were born. I know, I know you've, you know, I know a little bit of your history, Ross. Knows. I know nothing. Right, right. And so uh, we're just going to kind of jump into it. Um, so where, where were you born, Dave? Let's start, let's just start at the beginning. Absolutely. Where, where were you born? Brother? Okay. Uh, I was born in uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. My uh, parents met there in college and uh, my dad was in ROTC there and they got married. And, what college uh, is in Murfreesboro, Tennessee? Middle, t- Middle Tennessee State. Okay. Come on, Ron. OVC, Eastern Illinois, same conference. <laughs> you should have known that. Should have. Did you play against them? Yes. I mean, well, I don't know if I played, well, but. I say didn't really play, but you were, you were on the team watching you. <laughs> watching my teammates so, in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. What, so how long you, how, you born there, so how long you there? So your dad was in the military. ROTC. My dad was going in the military. Going so my, he was in college at the time. Yeah. To back the bus up a little bit, my I came from a, a military family, and if you ever saw Forrest Gump, like Lieutenant Dan's family, like <laughs> Lieutenant Dan's dad was in the Army, right. and Lieutenant Dan's dad's dad was in the Army, uh, that's the way uh, my, my family was. Uh, my, my grandfather was a full bird colonel in the Army, spent 33 years in the Army, um, was in World War II, Korea, tail end of the, or the beginning of Vietnam, um, and he had three sons. And one of which was my my dad, who went in the army. His other son went to West Point, went in the army. And the black sheep of the family, Paul Galanti, went in the navy, went to the naval academy, and was an A four pilot. Um, so, and, and I know you have a, a, a rich family history in the military. And we'll kind of get to that. Um, so, how long how long you're there in Tennessee? I think about eighteen months, and then we were heading to Fort Knox, Kentucky. Boom! So your dad graduates. Yeah, graduates go, and goes and to, and that's when he heads to Fort Knox. Yeah, Fort Knox. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how long are we in Fort Knox? About six months. Six months. And after that, uh, my dad was an armor officer. He was uh, on the ground cap side, and uh, we were in uh, Bremerhaven, Germany. Folded Germany for a couple of years, couple, couple like two and a half years there. How, how old were you then? Three, four, somewhere in there. I, I don't know if we can just go everywhere. He was. Uh, <laughs> no, it's a great. <laughs> he, he's all. You're not staying very long. No, it's uh, uh, it's moving every two years. You're basically like a gypsy that uh, showers frequently. Well, not to be condescending towards gypsies in any way. There's nobody in this room that showers frequently. <laughs> and, and why is that? What's the, what's the reasoning behind that in the army or whatever your dad's job was? Well. Back then, Vietnam was going on, and um, I didn't think about that. And so they were cycling people through. And my dad was a regular army officer, and my uncle Paul was unfortunately shot down. And so they were, and he was a, a, a POW in the Hanoi Hilton. So they were trying to get my dad and my uncle rotated over there, while also realizing that because of that Sullivan rule, all three of them couldn't be in Vietnam at the same time. Gotcha. So that's kind of how. We were moving all the time. Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. I, I just... <laughs> so, where'd you end up going to high school? Where'd you go to high school? Went to high school in beautiful San Diego, California. Wow. All, all four years? Yeah. 
Yeah, all four years. I uh, had moved there from uh, Alexandria, Virginia um, when I was in eighth grade. And so I actually stayed in San Diego for five or six years, which for me was an eternity. (laughs) Yeah. I would like to bring up that, as we were discussing briefly before, that when I was in Alexandria, Virginia, much like you, I did deliver the newspaper. (laughs) Three three newspaper boy alumni in here. Wow. but it wasn't like a candy ass until <laughs> uh, this was a Washington Post. Ooh, the big boy. Cue the old old dude. And a Sunday and a Sunday Washington Post probably weighed about a pound and a half. And I think I had like seventy five or a hundred to deliver. Were these made out hey, Fred Flintstone, were these made out of clay? Yes. <laughs> You're riding your brontosaurus, brontosaurus around town, delivering them. Absolutely. <laughs> was was this your first job? Yes. Great first job. I can't look at that. That's all crazy. Paper boys. I mowed yards before the, my paper boy. Yeah. No, well, look at, look at you. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, how'd you? I'm going back to paper. How did you learn? Bike or walk? Walk. I. Walk. So it was like an apartment complexes and townhomes I delivered to. See, so I, apartments, that's easy. Yeah, no, no. It's a, so we had hills, job. and it's a great leg workout. I had a front loader and a back loader <laughs> stuck over me. I'm in seventh grade. I'm going up and down these stairs, and I totally agree with Ross on his episode talking about rolling them is the worst thing in the world. R- rolling and bagging. Ross, we just found out who our fourth listener is. It's Dave. <laughs> it's Dave. He actually listened to you. So we got my mom. We got our mom. Our brother Ty and your wife Dawn, we, and now Dave. He's our fourth listener. We've been wondering We're who the fourth listener was. He came podcast. in here with details. He, I like that. <laughs> I love it. He's a smart man. He remembers things. So San Diego High School in San. Diego, what was it? I'm sorry. What was it? What was the name of the high school? Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel, that's San a, Diego. That's a big. That's a big high school, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really big high school. It's uh, 2,600 people um and uh back then it was just a sports powerhouse they right. more people it was a public school which was phenomenal um you know in the 1980s if you read moneyball more people were drafted out of there than any other high school in the country which is pretty impressive considering it was a regular public high school it wasn't a private school that was recruiting right. elite right. athletes and things of that nature that's cool um do you play sports there uh, freshman year, and then uh, by my sophomore year, I realized I wasn't going to be making varsity in <laughs> at Mount Carmel, San Diego. I, I, it, I was waiting for him to say, it ain't like Bethalto. We all, we all have that realization at some point. It just takes some of us longer <laughs> to realize it. <laughs> right, right, right. So uh, d- at that point, did you... I'll tell you what. Ross asked me this question when we started ours, and I wish I would have asked you this. Did you, what, like in your early days, what was one of the first things you wanted to be when you got older? Growing up in San Diego, I wanted to be an oceanographer. Look at that. For about six months. <laughs> you and George Costanza. <laughs> um, wow. So then when, when, how did the military come about for you? Okay. So what happened is, is, you know, after my dad left the military, he was uh, working for NIS, which was the forerunner of NCIS that they have on TV and stuff like that. Oh, wow. And he was burned out on it. He was at Camp Pendleton. So when I was in high school, my dad was doing undercover drug work. You know, he had a beard longer than yours, wearing That's these hurtful. ratty ass. That is hurtful, Dave. Ratty ass t-shirts, coming home. People call in the house before cell phones at two o'clock in the morning, wow. that sort of thing. Yeah. So in the army, um, because after he was an armor officer, he branch transferred to the military police. He was running polygraphs, so he knew how to do that. Mm-hmm. So my parents moved to Las Vegas. So I decided to stay in San Diego for a year, work a little bit, 
screw around at the junior college and drink a hell of a lot of beer at the beach. And uh, then after that, they moved to Wheaton, Illinois, where my dad got wow. a job being an investigator for the uh, Nuclear Regulatory Commission. And I decided, man, I'm going nowhere fast in San Diego. So I went out to attend college at Northern Illinois University. And I was either going to be a teacher or I was going to be an army officer because that's kind of what mm-hmm. I knew, you know. And uh, I decided I was going to go ahead and go in the army then. Okay, so, so did you graduate from Northern? Yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. you graduated, then you went in the Army. Right, so you're exactly. are part of ROTC, is that? Yeah, and, uh, you know, I remember one of your episodes, you talked about what a great deal being in the National Guard mm-hmm. was for, for kids that are mm-hmm. wanting to go to college. And, you know, ROTC is the same deal, especially in the state of Illinois, because they have a state scholarship. So I had a scholarship for um, undergrad, and I also had a stipend. So I got money on top of that, which was a, a great gig, a great gig. So from so as soon as you finish college, it's off to uh, to basic training. Uh, no, so actually, what happened is is I went to basic training at Fort Knox, Kentucky, um, between my sophomore and junior year. Oh, in college. In college. Oh, wow, that's right. And then um, you go to the advanced camp; they called it back then, between your junior and senior year. That was at Fort Riley, Kansas. And um, I was planning on being an infantry officer. Um, wow. Exactly. And then when I was at the summer camp, when I was at the summer camp, I uh, flew in a Blackhawk for the first time with the doors back with like 30 guys in there, nap of the earth, just hauling ass barely over the trees. And I ended up playing some Rolling Stones about that. A helicopter can fly itself to that music. But uh, I, I, I was lucky enough. Uh, to graduate high enough in my class to get aviation. I graduated first in my class, and I was also lucky enough Look at to... the big brain on Dave. No. Boss, I told you. You first, told me. First out of 30s, not that big. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also to be able to pass a flight physical, because that is just a ridiculous physical. Is it really? Oh, it's the worst. It's a three-day physical. Three days. Like a, like Oh, like a physical, like an exam. Yeah. Or not like a physical, like physical testing like it no running it's it, it's a physical exam for eyesight hearing i mean the eye test itself is like as i recall is like six hours long it's just it's brutal wow. and uh so i did that and i went to fort rucker alabama for flight school flight school right. so and, you graduated college at, at how old well i was young when, so i was a, i was 16 when i was a senior in high school and then i basically had a screw off year then got done in four years so 22 years old 22. Uh, yeah so 22. you so Really, you started your army career at 22 years old. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, flight school is great. Probably the, one of the best years of my life. You know, it's like, it's like college with money, except for they're, and they're giving you a multi-million dollar airplane to go fly in the afternoon, and you have classes in the morning. It's perfect. It's a great time. Can't, I sent you that picture of Dave. Yep. Uh, I, yeah. You know that the 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 sort of famous picture that the, your wife that the. the uh, that Sergeant Kim likes to put out for your birthday. Your birthday. Oh my bad. God! Now, where, where, what, how, where were you at that point? I was at Hunter Army Airfield, uh, which is where I was stationed in Savannah, Georgia. Best place in the world to to go to be stationed in the Army because it's in downtown Savannah. And I have no. Oh wait, wait, no. The picture that said I know which picture you're talking about. You're talking about a picture in Iraq with me and Gary Cunningham in front of a Cobra. Show, show, show our man the picture. Well, the, the picture, the, I, there's no one else in the picture. But anyway, my, my point was that I just picture you, it's some, like, I've seen from Top Gun and some karaoke, <laughs> some karaoke bar, like, uh, this one here, this picture. Yeah, 
Yeah, that's me and my buddy, Gary Cunningham, who ended up being a full bird colonel in the Army. Poor uh, guy got cropped out. <laughs> he did. <laughs> we got, and, and after the show, we'll, 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 show, we'll share that on yes, our Facebook page. Yes, all three page. of our listeners uh, that are curious about the picture, we were going to share it on our Eat, Slate, Live. Well, I think we all know Justin Brown, and I know the first time that he saw that picture, he was laughing, and he was like, dude, how much were you weighing in that picture? I, I'm going I'm to tell you a little story about our, uh, about our friend Justin Brown, who was also in the Army. So I couldn't remember what uh, what you flew in the uh, in the army. I couldn't remember if it was Apaches or Blackhawks, right. whatever. So I text him. This is today because I didn't want to ask you because I want to be embarrassed. I should know because you talk about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so I text I text Justin this morning, and I said, hey, "What did what did Dave fly in the uh, in, in when he was when he was in the army?" He's, and and he sent back one word. Penis. <laughs> That's a true story. Thanks, <laughs> Justin. Said, penis. So uh, this is around. So you in flight school around what year? I graduated. Let's see. I graduated from college in '87. Started flight school in September of '87, and I went to. I, I got done with regular flight school, scout track, in late '88. And then I went to jump school at the Fort Benning School for Boys, as you recall. You were there, I believe. Yes, follow me. And uh, then I went back jump school. So you, I did, so airborne. You did. You were. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I should assume you. Pro- you have to, don't you? No, I I went because uh, Dave, I've I've seen you standing on a plyo box and you've been scared to jump off of it. So <laughs> I can't imagine you jumping out of a plane. No, I couldn't either, <laughs> but it was a prerequisite to fly for the 160th mm-hmm. for, for special ops. And so I'm like, I just got to get this knocked down. Hated every second of it. <laughs> oh my God. Uncle Doug was airborne. Our Uncle Doug was airborne. <laughs> he was a parachute rigger. Second time we've dropped Uncle Doug on him. <laughs> yeah, second jump. Uh, so I already know how bad it's going to be, you know, second yeah. jump. I actually tried to grab the plane as it, <laughs> exiting the thing. I, I, sw- I think this happened nails scraping on the outside of a C-141 starlift. How many jumps did you have? Five and I was done. <laughs> I was qualified. You know, the funny thing about that was we had a very unique airborne class. It was the biggest SEAL class they had ever had through there. And there was three aviators in there. Um, uh, buddy of mine from flight school, Brad Grambo, um, a guy named Captain Geo that was a special ops helicopter pilot. And you don't have those people going to jump school normally. And uh, it was a, a, a pretty unique experience because Brad played college basketball at Idaho State. And he was six. Did he like? Did he play like Ross played, or did he play play? I, I don't I don't know how much he played. He's a great guy. Ended up retiring Ross as a. Is, no, you're not a great guy. Damn. <laughs> but what was so funny and so sad at the same time is he was six foot seven and about two forty, and he was always like the last guy out of the plane and the first guy hitting the ground. You know, because wow. that, they don't adjust those shoots. <laughs> but we also, because we were pilots didn't really listen to the instructors. And, you know, the, the Army Airborne School is very well run. They've been running it since is World it War II. from your co- the pilot's cocky and arrogance that you guys wouldn't listen, or was there another reason? Well, it's because <laughs> we shot so many auto-rotations in flight school. They're like, well, you can't judge your altitude above the ground when, when you're coming down. And I'm like, I'm a pilot. I can judge everything. So my, <laughs> so my, so my fifth jump, my last jump to get my wings, I'm like, I'm just going to reach for the ground. And it, with those army shoots, 
you're falling like a homesick brick. You're just screaming into the ground. I mean, homesick brick. So you, when you jump out, everything's nice and quiet. You're like, this is great. And all of a sudden, you get down to the ground, and it's like, Kablamski! And you're just, you know. Did hit, you say Kablamski? Kablamski, yes. You hit like a ton of bricks. So I'm like 10 feet over the ground or thereabouts, and I stretched my knees out to reach for the ground, which you're never supposed to do. And then at the last second, I said, this is stupid. I bent my knees, and I landed feet and then just jammed into the ground Kablamski. Kablamski. homesick bricks <laughs> that's what i took out of that story yes so how how long were you were you in the army uh, i was in the army for five years on active duty uh so i was at hunter the whole time besides flight school and then um besides going over to iraq and in saudi arabia yeah so let's get to that so I mean, you you flew over in uh, Desert Storm. Yeah, you got caught. So where where are you when you get sort of not? Is it drafted or? I guess you were active, so you're just yeah. It's, so my, my division or whatever. My division was a uh, a rapid deployment force division. So we were with 18th Airborne Corps. It was uh, the 24th ID, um, the 82nd Airborne, of course, and the 101st. And so we were like the first ones over there. Um, and I was in a cab squadron, so they flew half of our stuff over there, and the other half they shipped because they wanted to get it over there real fast. And um, so I got over there like two weeks after he invaded. So uh, I was in a cab squadron, which basically means that uh, you're out in front of the, the, the divisional main body. So as soon as our stuff got all assembled over there, we were just, you know, up on the border, sleeping next to our helicopters with no tents on MRE boxes for about two or three glorious weeks. <laughs> So, so you flew uh, what's called Cobras. Yes, sir. And so, tell tell us about those. So, a Cobra was the first dedicated attack helicopter that the Army ever had. They used to use the old uh, Hueys that were demodeled. You'll see them with the the fifty cows on the side and and rigged up rocket launchers and stuff. But the Cobra was designed in the mid to late sixties to be a dedicated gunship. Fun fact: uh, the Cobras chalked up over. One million operational hours in Vietnam. Fun fact. <laughs> Fun fact. Todd has a laptop in front of him today, folks. <laughs> I had also, during my research, just one of us does research, Ross, before we start these things. I, I, I like this to be a conversation, and we're just recording our conversation. Oh, okay. Um, anyway, back to me. So they did you ever hear that they had like hunter-killer teams? Did you ever, or was that just a Vietnam thing? That's like, a Vietnam thing. They would take like send scout helicopters in and they would, they would get them to, uh, you know, fire at them. And then the, uh, the Cobras would be, you know, sort of positioned back farther and would come in. That's, they would, that's a, they were sort of throwing the, the, uh, the scout helicopters in as bait. And then as soon as they started, they I think were they call upon. that kamikaze from the <laughs> Japanese. So, so soon <laughs> they, they stole would, that. As soon as they were fired upon, then the Cobras would come in and, Todd throwing Un- down the Tour of Duty reference. And Unleash more. Hell. That's good research, though, brother. The Unleash Hell part wasn't in Wikipedia. Yeah, so that's actually kind of correct because, you know, in a CAV squadron, um, unlike an attack helicopter battalion, the uh, job of the uh, of the gunship is to protect the scouts. The scouts are out front trying to see where the enemy positions are, and we're there to kind of hammer whoever shoots at them. And then change the battle off to the attack helicopter battalion or the infantry brigade battalion that's going to be fighting the main right, fight. Right, the hunter-killer teams. So, you, I mean, you're flying the badasses. 
Yeah, it's pretty I fun. Mean, it didn't yeah. suck. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't want to sound like too much of an idiot. Like, ask, like, like, how many round, like, like, what kind of uh, so rounds boy, firing a, and and it's been a while, but uh, let me. Okay, so the, 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 the 20, missiles on this thing. 50, what, what's the what's the missile, armory like on this 50 guy? Calibers, you got fifty <laughs> calibers on there. So I was flying. If you say a, bazooka, Ross, I'll fight you. <laughs> I was flying the fully modernized or the last version of the Cobra that the Army ever had. So that had a 20 millimeter chain gun on the front that fired 700 rounds a minute, plus or minus 45. Seems like a lot. Yeah, it gets it. <laughs> There's and no 20... way I'd remember these stats like this. You kind of uh, get well, them drilled into this helicopter. Well, I don't remember. Well, what was you like. weren't first in your class either. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> last. No. Um, and and so they fire around about the size of a beer bottle if we had a beer bottle here no beer bottles here not nope. at all um and again it's 700 rounds then you have the tow missile system is what we had which fires out to 3750 meters i think i can't believe i can remember that but um and that's you know a two blanche optically wire guided system you just put the crosshairs on the tank or whatever you're going to shoot at and then you just pull the trigger and keep the crosshairs on there and of course they've advanced well beyond that now yeah, with the hellfire oh, yeah. missile system um and then we had rockets uh, that fired out to 12,000 12, meters, as I recall. But that's a going back a long time. Wow. And so was it more of a, uh, it was, you guys did more attacks on like armored vehicles and things. Is that what the uh, Cobra's job was, so to speak? Uh, yeah, but the, you know, the Apaches were online. And the reason I chose not to go fly Apaches. You had a choice? They yeah. gave you a choice. Yeah. So oh, that's nice of them. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> well, over here, Dave, we have the Cobra, and over here, we have the Apache. Which, what, 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 what do you more fancy for your killing machine? It's not, <laughs> that's not how I figured. Fucking Dave, you're on the truck. You're on the red chopper. Get your ass over there. Go, 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 go. Damn it, Private Galante, get over there. <laughs> Private Galante have been saying no. <laughs> no. So um, in flight school, it's, it's basically broadly. A third of the people there, maybe 25%, are scout or attack guys, and the other 75% are uh, lift weenies, as we would call them, like Black Hawk and Chinook pilots, that kind of thing. Okay. Did you say, so, what, weenie? Did I hear you say the word weenies? I did. I did, yes. Um, so there's a little bit of a friendly rivalry there. But the Apaches were grounded um, for quite some time and I'm like look I wanted to be a scout pilot anyway and, and be in a cab mission rather than an attack mission so I chose to go fly the the Cobra hoping just to get that under my belt and then go be a scout platoon leader Todd in um, your days yes, in the sir. National Guard yes. well, thank, first you of for, all, thank you for your service freedom did, thank you did, for your freedom uh, did, did they is, give you any choices what's that did you have any choices did <laughs> they ask you hey sergeant or private locks would you like to do this or that i i would love to talk more about my military <laughs> service ross but the, right now we're talking about Dave. okay, okay? keeping litchfield free. Free, free freedom isn't freedom, <laughs> i'll do the i'll do the jokes around here dave freedom isn't free ross even though it's been taken away from us currently so i mean scary situation you're in over there yeah, I mean, um, obviously, uh, especially if you're reading the news reports back then, is you know we were going against like the fourth or fifth largest standing army, and th these guys are supposed to be tactical geniuses in the defense and all uh -huh. this sort of stuff. Um, but uh, obviously, it worked out pretty well. Um, but I, mean, I was in basic training when I when uh, Desert Storm started, and so every day, like they would like, all right, and they bring us because you couldn't, you, like when I was in basic training hashtag old white guy uh when i was in uh basic training like you didn't get couldn't see the tv didn't see news you couldn't have you didn't have well didn't have 
cell phones back then, but you didn't, you got, you didn't see anything in the outside world except the newspapers that they would bring in, you know, just, and they would bring in like these, the newspaper headlines about, you know, you know, the the Iraq war, you know, operation, you know, the desert storm and things like that. They'd bring them in. We'd only see like these crazy headlines. And so like every other day, like, all right, it's gotten serious over there. You guys pack up. We we can't, you don't, you're not going to finish your basic training. We're just sending you over now. And we have to unload everything out of our lockers. And like, because that thing's all, it's all neatly put in. Like, all right, we're going over and we throw it all in our, in a, in our, in our bags and like okay it's been called off we, we think they're they just got fucking with you all the time little telling taste, us little taste of your own medicine we, we, from they, they would make they would convince us we were skipping <laughs> the rest of basic training <laughs> and i guess ait and going over dave needed us dave needed i us. did i needed <laughs> you todd <laughs> <laughs> yeah so scary it was like you said it was it was sure i mean yeah i mean yeah so uh yeah, obviously, uh, first time I ever flew in combat. And, you know, we were... Um, How they, long were you over in Desert Storm? I was over there seven months because they had a first-in, first-out policy. But, just one tour? Yes, that's, first, that's I, all it not took. Not just, but... That's all it took yeah. is like four or five days. But <laughs> we were flying missions before the ground troops actually went across because what we were doing in a, as a cab squadron is basically scouting the routes. So flying cross-flight, I'm sorry, uh, forward line of your own troops going past where we were at and going up into Iraq, trying to make sure there weren't any obstacles. But it was really like flying over the moon. Like southern Iraq, where we were at, is just nothing. And I mean nothing. Besides, give, give, me a, give me a picture. Is it, is it, the is moon. it desert? Yes, but that- it's, it, it's this fine talcum powder, and it is rocky and somewhat mountainous which is good to fly in uh, to a certain degree because it gives you some relief when you're flying night vision goggles you can actually see something other than flying over something purely flat which is pretty dangerous when's um, the last time you've flown uh, i think when christ was a corporal yeah somewhere <laughs> so, in there. So, nope. so you got out of it and then you had no desire to keep flying no you know i uh i flew in law school uh some it was a great gig um but uh yeah, I haven't flown substantially since then. I have a friend of mine that has a nice plane. I'll go up with him once in a while, but I haven't flown, and you know, I haven't been, I haven't been current in a long time. Gotcha. Probably since about ninety four. Well, so, it's such a big part of your life. I didn't. You just. Yeah, you know what I found is I found that there's people that just loved flying, and they would literally get into financial difficulty because they would mortgage their house like a gambling addict or something like that. <laughs> They'd do anything to go fly. They didn't wow. want to work out. They didn't want to go play golf. They wanted to go fly. And then there was people like me that really liked it when somebody was writing me a paycheck. I mean, it was fun flying yeah. a big multi-ship mission. I mean, it gives you an opportunity to do something that no matter how much money you have, nobody is going to be able to buy a gunship and go do that. And it's so fun yeah. when you're flying with a group of, let's say, four scouts and two attack helicopters. Wow. It's a blast. So after, so after you and your buddies win the war for us, okay? Yes, sir. Um so then what? But okay, how how much longer more time did you have in the uh in the uh in the army after that? Sure. So after you got out for your 7 months. When you're an uh an aviator in the army, you're basically like an indentured servant. So um the the requirement for me to stay in was 5 years from the date I graduated from flight school. Mm-hmm. Um but the army was downsizing at that time before um Desert Storm, 
and a bunch of my friends that were aviators got out right away as soon as we got back. Uh, they got out of their flight school obligations. I wanted to have everything kind of squared away. So I was planning on going in the FBI. And so I sat for the test and went through the interview process with that. And uh, and that took me about eight months to get going. So I'll, I guess when I came back, I was out in about eight or nine months. Gotcha. And so then... So how long what? how long were you in total? Uh, five years on active five duty. Years. And then when I went to law school, I was uh, in the reserves the entire time I was in law school for three years. Obviously, you've 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 uh, ruined the suspense for people. What you did after uh, the military, but so what? <laughs> so what happens after you after you get out? What, oh, what's your next move? And, and this is the first time he's dropped law school, I, I believe. Which I thought I would be brought up earlier. Right. I'm not that impressed by lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> so and neither are you. Let's be I, honest. I am really. So find it you, very get out, you, you get out. You get out. You're five years up. So. What's your next move? What, how So you're 27, 28? Yeah, I'm like 27 or 28. I think I was 28 when I started law school. And so, so that's how did you just, I, I find that really intriguing. Yeah, you're, so you're, you're, old, went you're to, old man. So you went to you went to, to uh, Northern Illinois, graduated. Right. right. So you're already 22. Then you joined the Army. Right. I mean, you kind of did things in a your own time. Ask friend. backwards. Yeah. <laughs> Late bloomer. As in, you know, a lot of my friends from high school, they, I mean, you either went to college or you went to the army and wasn't go to college, then the army. Right. You know, but I, I mean, I understand why, but then, you know, my friends who went to school, it was college law school. Right. I mean, you were college army law school. So you get, I mean, you're kind of late into the game. You're 28. Once you start. Yeah. There's no way I could have been one of those guys that went, college to law school i was ready to get out and start making some money having yeah. some fun but no. here's the thing yeah. is a lot of people you know once you you've graduated college you went to the army now you're like i'm not going back to school that's two more years of not being in a career or something else and so i i i give you a lot of props for doing it because not a lot of people would they're like i'm 28 i'm too old to go to law school you know or something it's, you know it's it's tough at 28 i wasn't going back to school so damn sure well, the first year back was awesome, being back on a college campus when you actually had a good job Dave, with some money. Can you see Dave strutting around law school? Just he's been a pilot for five years. He's fought. He's fought over in Desert Storm. He's he's defended our freedom. Everybody called great, him Maverick. He's got this great mustache, and he's just, can you see like wearing a leather jacket, just strutting around, fucking bomber just, jacket, just strut, everybody's just strutting around. And where where'd you go to law school? Down at Carbondale. Oh, He's down. Oh, Carbondale. So, I mean, like if he did that at SLU, there'd probably be a lot of him walking around. But down at Carbondale, there's nobody like him walking around. <laughs> so I, I, I went to law school kind of on a lark because it was free. It was, I almost went to law school on a lark, too, but I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> it, and so I happened to, when I was in the Army on active duty, I was friends with uh, two guys that were uh, lawyers. Uh, there are our aviation brigade uh, prosecuting and defense attorneys. And when I found out that the FBI had a hiring freeze on because my goal was to go fly for the hostage rescue team, have a little bit more control over your career. I could have stayed flying rather than flying a desk for my entire career. They're like, look, you got to go to law school. It's good education. Mm -hmm. You can go for free. You can build your flight time. You'll be a, more, a better candidate when you get done. And um, so for me, I was more concerned about building my flight time and having a good time in law school than I was really ever planning on being a lawyer. Gotcha. So, so 
so then, so you're in law school. I mean, you went to have a good time, but obviously now we know you have your own practice. You're a successful lawyer. So at what point were you like, all right, this is what I'm going to do? Yeah, you did said. You, did you enjoy it enough that they're like, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm into this? Uh, I enjoyed aspects of it. It's a good education. Law school is a great education. Um, there, the, there was a friend of mine from the Army, uh, honestly one of the most talented guys I ever met in my entire life. His story was is that he walked on to the LSU football team when he was a junior, and he made the team, and they gave him a scholarship, and he had two more years of eligibility. And so he decided to go to law school. His dad was a federal judge. And uh, played football the first two years of law school for, for LSU. Was awesome. a starter, Pat Bassetta. Uh, starter? Uh, yes, yes. On their Orange Bowl team. And he is now, uh, oh. was he was in charge of the Louisiana National Guard. Uh, I think he retired as a two-star general. Well, National Guard. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Keep Richmond safe. Thank you for uh, our freedom. But he told me, and this was, and this was true, he goes, uh, it's a very good education. It teaches you how to think critically and it teaches you how to write. I'm a much better writer than I was before. Um, I'm certainly not Ernest Hemingway, but I can get it done a little bit. Write better. that down. Dave's not Ernest Hemingway. Not down. But it gives you also, I mean, the, the knowledge that it gives you about the law. Um, right. And the different, different aspects of the law to business to, I just think there's a huge advantage in, to, to us being business guys, if we also had the, the, the background of, of law school, I, I think it, it gives you a little something extra. You know the knowledge that, that law school, I think, gives you is a huge advantage. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. But what happened to me, the reason I started, uh, I decided to start practicing law is uh, rather than going in the FBI, I was getting to the point where I was, I think I graduated when I was 30 or 31 from law school. <laughs> my, one of my ex-wives wanted to be a lawyer practicing. Yes, another story. <laughs> yeah, we don't have time for all no, that. We don't have time to no. go into that. Kim is just cringing now. All right, so let's, let's, touch, let's touch base a little bit on, so, I mean, throughout this interview, you, you talked a lot about, you always thought you'd go into the FBI. Right. So, so you went to law school, you wanted to kind of have fun and build your resume a little bit. So why did you, what was your main decision on, why did you decide to be a lawyer and not go into the FBI? So two reasons. Number, number one, I was married to someone else at the time, and she wanted to be a practicing lawyer, so I was trying to work on that. But also, my between my soft or my last year in law school, I was clerking for a workers' compensation arbitrator, and I really liked that practice area. I really liked dealing with. Um, injured workers. It was interesting because the injuries are all different, learning about all the medical, um, you know, shoulder surgeries, knee surgeries. Unfortunately, I've had all those now, but it was... You're welcome. A, yes. Thank you, Todd. Um, but I liked it. I, li- I liked the, the lawyers that practice in that field. And because I clerked for that arbitrator, I knew everybody that practiced in that field. And so I was relatively certain I could get a job in that area. Awesome. That's a, it's a, kind of a big step i mean fbi to me i mean that's like damn you got to be somebody to be in the fbi shout out to karen chastine shout out to karen okay <laughs> so but it seems like it's worked out for you absolutely you, yeah are you happy with your decision yes very happy that's a big decision it. i'm sure whenever you had to damn this is what i always thought i'd do but yeah i'm it, going this way it, it was a decision because i wasn't 23 or 24 exactly yeah or 25 graduate that, from law school i was 31 and if i made a mistake then then i'm trying <laughs> to find a job as a lawyer when i'm like 38 or 39 and i don't know 
anybody that's a lawyer. Yeah. No ties. Chance of me getting a job is probably zero. Okay, so you graduate, and now you're you're looking for a job. Yes. Where, where's your first job? Uh, Becker and Associates. Greg Becker, great guy. Down Greg in, Becker. Where's that? Greg Becker. Right, uh, Pontoon Beach, Illinois. So now from from Carbondale, now right. up to this area. Right. And so I moved here when I was 31 to finally have a home for the first time in my life. And uh, yeah, and it was a great first gig for me. And and actually the only other job I've had as a lawyer other than when I started my own firm. So his practice, he was... uh, So how long were you there? 13 years. 13 years. Yep. It was Becker and Galani for a while. Start, start. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure your name wasn't on the sign to start off with. You start off with just being... Right. What were you right off the bat? With him. An associate making less money than I was making flying helicopters in the <laughs> Army. <laughs> but Let freedom ring. Yes. And, but, and you started off with him doing, I mean, there's different, you know, different parts of law. What, what were you practicing? Uh, workers comp uh, and some personal injury back then, but mostly workers comp and a little bit of social security disability. Greg has a, uh, a practice. He's a point of counsel of steel workers in Illinois and Missouri. So we had a, a lot of cases. And, you know, ultimately we grew the firm up to about, six lawyers six or seven lawyers when i left um so were you the how long did it take you to get your name on the sign let's start there way too long ross way too long (laughs) no no actually uh greg was great uh i'm gonna guess seven years so were you his first hire before was there were there other lawyers already involved yes there were other lawyers involved what point did you know you wanted to have your own firm how'd that come about well, Greg and I weren't getting along too well after about 12 or 13 years. That's it was odd. Kind of a, That's odd. Yeah. Who wouldn't uh, get along with you? Who wouldn't get along with Becker? I know. <laughs> Two awesome guys. It's like I'm practicing with myself It's uh, for some reason. Uh, no, it, it, yeah, it was a good breakup, and uh, we decided to go our separate ways. It was a great breakup, actually, compared to the way uh, most law firms break up, which is in a flurry of litigation. We had zero and are still friends to this day. So whenever, whenever you guys did break up, um, I mean, if your name's on a sign, obviously you had a lot to do with building up this law firm. So when you guys broke up and you guys split, your, you went your own ways, did you take half of the employees and he take half or do you take half of the business and he take half or was it just, no, okay, uh, we, I'm leaving your business is this, I'm leaving and starting a whole new business. No, uh, we split up files is what we did. And I took about half the files I had, went out on my own and, uh, what's your first stop? What's your first move? You got your files in your hand. Where are you going? Where are you heading? Where are you taking those files? Heading to B-Town. Heading to Peralto. Who wouldn't? Uh, because uh, my wife and I uh, are, are living here, obviously. So Sergeant Kim. So Okay, so how did you meet Sergeant Kim? Well, Todd, I'm glad you asked me that question. Um, <laughs> so is she. I remember like it was yesterday. <laughs> That's the funniest thing you've ever said on this podcast. It might well, be the only to, funny I try to leave the jokes to you. It but. might be the only funny thing you've said on this podcast. I met Kim because we had a mutual friend who's still my court reporter, Kim Mueller, who bowled with Kim because, you know, Kim's an athlete. Jesus. Bowling. Yes. You bowling. went from San Diego <laughs> to marrying someone on a bowling league day. <laughs> Come yes. on. Yes. And uh, the Illinois Trial Lawyers uh, Association always has a golf scramble uh, every year for the downstate people. And I won the long drive contest on a hole. I bet you did. Yes. That uh, I never hit the fairway on. It was Sunset Hills, the old number one, laced it right down the center. And they called my name. And I was drinking beer with one of my friends. And Kim came up to me mid-drink of a beer and said, 
are you Dave Galani? And I said, yes, I am. (laughs) (laughs) So then you're not going to remember this time. Okay. So about a week and a half later, Mm -hmm. I was pretty smitten. Smitten. I was pretty smitten. Write that down. And and Becker and I decided to shut the firm down early and go to Fast Eddie's on a Friday at about 1. And you were there with Kim and Ted Janaris because you were working at Simmons at the time. What were you doing there with Kim, huh? Hey, Kim, how you doing? (laughs) (laughs) So I was probably like, who's this guy? (laughs) So I saw Kim, and I tactically made my way around Fast Eddie's trying Mm -hmm. to get into that group that you were at. Cool yeah. table. You mean the cool table? The cool table. I like Dave? tactical too, from Dude, his experience at, from early I, on in his career. All right. Cool table. Over to the cool table, Ross. <laughs> and uh, it was the first time I met you actually. And I was sitting there with my friend from law school, Ted Janaris, and talking Love to Teddy. Kim. Oh, Dave Teddy. was like, "Who's this jackass?" <laughs> <laughs> no, you know the first thing I said to Todd. What was it? Todd? I, go ahead. I'm more curious. What's the first thing Todd said to you? <laughs> Todd didn't say anything to me. Todd's arms were enormous. I remember it at the time. He was jacked. I was really big. Slow back down. Yeah. Slow I down. was really big back yeah. then. And so I was trying to impress Kim, be a little bit funny. And so I looked down at Todd and said, hi, my name's Dave. It looks like you toy with weights occasionally. <laughs> Todd was not impressed. <laughs> I, I was more impressed with Ted's hair. Sure, it wouldn't be. <laughs> So you met Kim. You were you were still working. You yes. weren't on your own yet. No, correct. That's correct. Okay. She have any influence in you starting your own? No, not really. She was just always very supportive and awesome about it. And she told me I was going to like it when I was scared to death, and uh, <laughs> got me through it just why, fine. Why are you reading this off an index card, Dave? Because I know what's good for me, Tom. <laughs> because I know what's good for me. So then you you start the firm in uh, I mean is it Bethal Tours will be East Alton? It's actually East Alton by about ten feet. Although at the old Leisure what was it Family Fitness, I did rear end a car there, and Bethal responded. So I think it's in East Alton. <laughs> uh, um, so it's kind of a weird setup over there. You guys you. Do you guys pay taxes into Bethalto? Everything's Bethalto over there besides your like address, right. I think. Is... I, I have no idea because I'd rent. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Yeah, it's perfect. It's a weird setup over and there. And right, right by the airport. Yep. I don't know what that means. But... Well, in case he wants to go fly. Yeah, in case he decides <laughs> he gets that in. Take his lunch break to go fly. In case he wants to mortgage his house and go <laughs> sure. flying. Make a quick escape. So now how long have you had your own practice? Twelve years. And you do mostly work comp. Uh, oh. I, I it's probably about I represent a lot of cops and firemen, which is great. I like doing that a lot. And we so back the blue here at Eat, Slay, Live. Absolutely. And uh, been doing a lot of uh, in the line of duty disability pensions lately. But uh, yeah, I'd say work comp it, is my bread and butter. It, and is it immediate area or do you go outside the area for this? No, I, I go up to about Decatur, Springfield, and then down to as far down as the state goes. Gotcha. And, and that's about my range. Um, it's a great story. It is. And, uh, so I guess business side of it, um, are, you know, I'm, I'm super interested in the process of my business. Um, you know, I, I like, um, I'd rather be more interested in what I do than more interesting in my, in what I do. Um, I mean, I'm so interested in the process all the time and what can I do better um as as a lawyer I, I think a lot of people miss they don't understand like you are an entrepreneur you are a businessman even though you're a lawyer i mean you have your own business 
how do you, me and Todd are always bouncing ideas back and forth um, on how, hey, hey, I got this idea. Do you think it'll work? How can we make our business better? Right. Do you, do you have that aspect in your law firm as in, hey, can, how can we market? How can we stay up to date on social media or whatever it is to, I mean, be a better business to make more money really when it comes down to it. Sure. I, you know what I like to go back to is that old economic theory of economy of scale. Like there's a right size business for you and what you're trying to accomplish. Absolutely. Right. So there's a right size for Ross and that's not being Applebee's and, yep. and it may be something bigger than you have now, but there's a, there's a scale at which you're going to be as economically as efficient as you can be. And I think by trial and error, certainly I don't have any business training. I might have some leadership training from the army. We don't either. (laughs) (laughs) It's just two morons trying to make it. (laughs) But well, and Todd's done the same thing with his gym. You know, he has him and Haley down there and that's working out great. Everybody loves that gym. It's fantastic. Everything's going well when there's not a COVID virus out there. But, I got a little bit too big, and I'm perfect for me right now at my age. So, so you yep. you've you've had you've went too big and had to scale back. Yeah, I and think explain I, that how 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 were you too big? Well, I I think that you get to a point where I think what you want is at least in my business is you want everybody to be busy and all the oars kind of going in the in, in one direction, and if you get too big and not everybody's pulling you're all of a sudden start to resent that a little bit yeah so and and that can happen in any business i think that can happen and certainly the bigger businesses i I can't even imagine you know running 50 employees or a thousand employees because that has to happen all the time that's great advice for even some younger people are starting their businesses that yet it looks great to be huge you know in my aspect it looks great to be fast eddies that big but that's probably never what i can be you right. know, and if I got that big, I probably wouldn't succeed. Right. You know, so, so that's, that's great. You got to know who you are and you got to understand that what size you can be at you get too big. You, you can't do what you do. You know, that, that's great advice. Great answer. Yes. I'm very impressed by this guy. You are. I am. That makes one of us. <laughs> he's smart. No. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he's, hey, he, he's told me this story every other day for like five years. So I, I've already heard it all. <laughs> When I was paying you to be my therapist slash trainer. <laughs> you know, it's an awesome story. You know, when I was, because I like to do research, Ross, on our guests and what we do in here, okay? Okay. I was, uh, when I was kind of looking up, like, just, I, what, I knew what Dave did in the Army. I knew what, the, the, I kind of looked up Cobras and things like that. But it, I was, uh, and you had talked about your uncle, you and I having some beers yeah. a while ago. His name, Paul Galanti. And I would, I was, he has, first of all, he has a Wikipedia page. What? Yeah, <laughs> and he deserves has, it. He <laughs> has deserves. he has uh, the wing of a museum named after him and his wife, uh, the Paul and Phyllis Galanti Education Center in uh, Virginia. So a whole another dynamic. Virginia? Yeah, I, I was kind of blown. I was kind of blown away by that. Um, he was because he was right now. He was a he was a PO, I mean, Dave kind of touched on it earlier, but he was a POW over in the the famous uh, POW camp over in Vietnam. Was Hanoi Hanoi Hilton? Hanoi Hilton. Right. Which was it's it's famous over there for how horribly they treated prisoners. If Wikipedia has it right, he was there for seven years. Yeah, just under seven. Uh, fucking really? Yeah, seven years he was there. Long time. Wow. And like the things that they talk about in here, like how bad they treated people and what they did and blah blah blah, was 
was was crazy. Are you are you and Paul close? Is that he influenced your military career? Is this I mean, your dad's yeah. brother, right? Yeah, it's my dad's brother. I mean, I remember being in like fourth or fifth grade, and you know, you're probably too young to remember this, but uh, it was a big deal when the POWs came home, and I'm watching it like live streamed on the Today Show, and I got to stay home from school that day. And then my uncle's coming off the plane, really, and then he's over at my house like two weeks later. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean subconsciously you know uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm sure he had some influence on that because he's probably uh the nicest guy i've ever met in my entire life despite what he what he's went through mm-hmm. uh, wow. pretty impressive guy what was that was the same pow camp that uh john mccain was in yeah so my uncle and uh senator mccain were really close because they went to the naval academy together and then they went to flight school together and then they're in the hanoi hilton together <laughs> And um, My so, gosh. yeah, they were they were pretty they were pretty tight. Uh, pretty funny story. Hey, so, let's get captured together. What do you? Think? Yeah, it's perfect. Let's round out the hat oh. trick. Um, it is a great story though. Uh, so unfortunately, my my aunt Phyllis, who that wing is named after, uh, passed away, and Kim had never met my uncle, okay. and so we're trying to fly out for her. Funeral. And they live where? They still Richmond, Virginia. Virginia. Richmond, still, okay. Virginia, where yeah. the museum is named yes. after. Them. Yeah. If I had a museum named after me in some town, I would live in that town also, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So Kim and I managed to fly out there the night before the funeral. They lost our luggage. It was a complete nightmare. I think you, know, you and I were friends at the time. How long absolutely. ago was it? I, uh, I remember, seven years ago. I remember seven, this. Uh, yeah. Seven, eight years ago. Yeah. yeah. I remember this. Big dog lawyer like you, you just go buy more clothes. Eh? Go to the mall and buy some clothes, right? We did, but my wife was devastated. I didn't really care. I'm like, look, I'm going to go buy an off-the-rack suit. It's fine. But my wife was devastated. She's trying to meet my family and make a good <laughs> oh, impression. I can imagine. So we go there, and my mom and my sisters and Kim are with me in the car, and I told my why i told kim i said hey listen this is going to be a big deal this funeral i mean like there's going to be at least two governors there the the commandant of cadets of bmi wow, wow. i said john mccain's going to be there and john kim's like mccain's there yeah so i drop them all off to be very polite because it was so crowded at the reception that it would have taken them forever to walk so so i drop them off and i come walking i i park the car i come walking up and Kim comes flying up to me, and she's like, John McCain was standing right next to me. And I'm like, I told you, Kim. I told you that was going to happen. But, yeah, he, he's a, a great guy, still alive, doing pretty well. Um, fantastic guy. So what what did he do after? So he after couldn't. He came home. Okay, so a lot of those guys were banged up, obviously, really badly. Um, and the vast majority of them couldn't fly anymore because you couldn't pass a flight physical. So he never flew again. Um, so he ended up... Um, retiring out of the Naval Academy. You know, he, he was an instructor at the Naval Academy. And then he was um, uh, the lobbyist for the Virginia Medical Association and Virginia Pharmaceutical Association until I think he finally hung it up when he was like 73 or 74. But, you know, I'm I'm, I'm very proud of him, obviously. I mean, he was on the cover of Life magazine and and uh, Newsweek when, when he came wow. home. And, you know. It's and, and, and the Life magazine uh, picture is really worth looking up because if you look at it, he's flipping off the cameras and they airbrush his fingers out because it's like 1966, <laughs> which I've always said to him, I'm like, Uncle Paul, probably not the best idea to flip off the cameras when you got another six years to go in the POW camp, brother, but you know, he did. Oh, he did that in the POW camp? Yeah. He so the, off the, oh, hold on, hold on. I thought, okay. 
they took a picture of him at the POW camp, and he's flipping off the camera. He's a badass. Yeah, you can tell it was that is his, ba- his fingers. Six were eggs, airbrushed. nothing. POW <laughs> camp flipping off the camera. That's something badass. Yes, but uh, yeah, you know, uh, and he's a great documentary that he's in called Return with Honor. If you ever want to see that, right, that's, write uh, that down, Ross. Return with Honor on Netflix, I believe. And, and I think, according to Wikipedia, he won the Silver Star, uh, Combat. Awards of two legions of merit and the bronze star, air medals, purple hearts, two purple hearts. Wow. A little bit more than two. me and you, Todd. <laughs> a, a little, I think I got marksman in basic training. Does that count as anything? Good citizenship. <laughs> um, so we like, we like to do a little thing here at the end of our interviews called... The, we like to? Well, this, this is, is our, first our time. This is our first. Well, we're going to... Yes, this is what we're going to like to do. <laughs> we're going to like At the end of our... Uh, then we call it the thunder and lightning round. I'm thunder, Russ lightning. That's right. Uh, so just some quick questions. Sure. Not something we want you to, to think about super quickly, but so Wait, we want him. We want him to think about him super quickly, or we don't. I mean, you, you don't got all day to think about him. You said one funny thing. You're, you're you've already met your quota, right. so just let me continue on with. I don't want our, <laughs> our guests to be confused. <laughs> he was confused when he walked in. <laughs> he couldn't find the door. Uh, so here's first question, Dave. Ready? Yes, sir. Who do you think would win in a foot race, me or Ross? <laughs> Ross. Oh! You're 100% right. Not yeah. even close. <laughs> Bullshit. We will find out shortly. <laughs> <laughs> what music are you into right now? If I say Gaslight Anthem and Social Distortion, Todd had to listen to that for six years. So I won't know what the fuck different. you're talking about, right. but we'll go with it. <laughs> it's you, you put on the Gaslight Anthem like album CD, and it sounds like one big long song. I've been listening to Lana Del Rey at the risk of losing my man card. I really have <laughs> okay. been into that album for the last couple hey, of weeks. You know, God, hey, hey, thank God Pops, he has... Props thank, for being honest. Thank, thank you. God he's P- Paul Galanti's nephew. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's wearing pink shorts for the love of God. Red. Uh, what actor would play you in a movie? If they did a movie about your life, don't. What actor would play you in a movie? Who played Fred Flintstone? Who? Who played Who played Fred Flintstone? <laughs> John Goodman. Um, John Goodman. Go John, okay. John. That's no. <laughs> nope. Brad Pitt. Hey, why why wouldn't you go with that? You're just, you're just you're, know yeah. our love for Brad Pitt. That was okay. Are you going that's, with Brad Pitt? That's what you're going with. Like, that's who we'd all go for, but that's not who would take the role. <laughs> go ahead. I love oh, it. Okay, so let's stay with it. All right. What band or singer would do the soundtrack for that movie? Brian Fallon, Gaslight Anthem. Ooh, okay, staying. Oh, you like that answer? I, I just like never getting stuck in the Loyal. Um, what's your favorite book of all time? We love this answer. This is the only. They, I do love this everything answer. you've said. This is going to be the only thing I write down all day. Atlas shrugged. Ayn Rand. Uh, I read it. Loved it. Great book. Yes. I have not read it. it Worth reading. Obviously, I think, it's, your I think it's too big for you. Uh, <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> Once again. Again, what? What? I'll do the jokes. Okay. Everybody knows the rules. One sentence of advice you would give your high school self while you're out there in San Diego chilling on the beach, getting a tan. Take some risk and work hard. Love it. I feel like you did that, though. 
Absolutely, I that's feel like you did that. You yeah. took risks. You jumped out of planes. You went into combat. You started your own business. So hey, but listen, you're all already going to do take these more. things. You can take, already, take more. Risk. You're already going to do these things, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, we ask him these questions and don't we let, just hey, rip on his answers. Don't let <laughs> don't don't let Todd talk you out of your answers. <laughs> all right, I don't know why I'm asking this one, but uh, what's your favorite food at the Brick House? BLT with onion rings, not fries. Not oh. even, not even a hesitation. No, no hesitation. Yep. Nice. Except for the Todd was sitting next to me, and he's a trainer, and I know he was judging me. <laughs> Dave, why, why he's eating his fried hot wings? We're talking about Dave right now, <laughs> bud. I, I'm gonna stick. I'll, I'll go. So, what's your favorite exercise at Pride down at the Thunderdome? What, what do you like to do the most? A uh, jump rope. I like the jump rope station jump. at Circuit. Jump rope's a great exercise. All the boxers do it. Again, thank God he's Paul Gawanti's nephew. No. Uh, now that Wait, you have double the, Dutching down, you and no. Haley double Dutching, Kim got to double Dutching. Now at, at, at Circuit, uh, you had the, uh, she's about the 70 and 100 pound medicine balls mm. over the shoulders on that. You could uh, do a lot worse than like just that. doing that all the time. I like that. And the one arm snatches on my own that you taught me. Yes. All right. I'm going to get a little tougher than Todd's little thunder lightning round. Okay. okay. I'm going. We're going to stick with your, your career, the lawyer. Give me your starting lineup of lawyers that you would pick to be on your team. Starting five? Starting five. I don't, I don't care where you go. If you go local, you go whatever. Starting five of lawyers. You'd pick. You're picking. This is your wow. team you're going to battle with. Tom Keefe, Bill Luco, Greg Shevlin. Greg Becker, and me. Boom! He did, Boom. Not, he did not hesitate. God damn, he did not that hesitate. Uh, now, I know a few of those guys. Are, I know Tom Keefe's local, Greg Becker's local, Luco's local. Is everybody local? Yeah. yeah. Stayed local. I don't know Johnny Cocker. Damn! <laughs> I love it. Hey, I, I was thinking, so me and Todd were talking about it earlier. I'm like, man, hope he drops Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> Pete Ross did say that. F. Lee Bailey. <laughs> Abraham Lee. Great answers. Man, this, this has been a great show. This has I, been a great time. Thanks for asking. You I had been, a blast. Man, I had a blast, guys. We, we've said this before. You don't really understand until you sit here, you put the headphones on, you hear yourself. It's, it's different. It's, it's a little harder than, than you, when you listen to it when you just run around the track. And... Man, you you freaking killed it. Yeah, you're yeah. good. You had a real good calming voice. It was you're good. Okay, what, Ross, quit giving him a foot massage. He gave okay, put you his a couple foot, foot massages. Put his I'm foot gonna give down, him one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this was fun. It's great to hear someone's story, like how they started and things like that. And, I love it. You know, I've I've known Dave good for the last four years. Yeah. Because of the brick house, but I mean, a lot of this I had no idea. And it's it's just stuff. You know, it's stuff that a lot I think a lot of people are going to listen to, and they're not going to have any idea of you know how you got started, where you came from. What your story was. That's, yeah. That was awesome. It's a strange story, but it's my story. <laughs> That's right. A <laughs> um, couple things, Ross, I wanted to add. This has something to do with the, this is, has to do with the Eat Slay Live podcast. Uh, this Thursday, we'll be doing uh, continuing on with my uh, locks down series, video series. Um, you know, just people giving advice in their industry. Uh, you know, like thing you know giving people advice about what to do right now and we're going to have jill griffin on who is the superintendent of schools in bethalto just kind of talking to parents a little bit about uh you know 
what to expect, what they should be doing at home. Kind we of got some tough questions for you, Jill. Oh, tough questions. Um, and then a real treat coming next week. And I should, I don't know if I should be even dropping this yet because we haven't got all the details worked out. Drop it. Local, uh, local musician, uh, local legend, if you will. We have Billy Hurst remotely on the show doing a video show. Um, where I ask him questions kind of about how he came up and a lot of people knew he went to Nashville and just, he's, he's going to drop a few tunes, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. And, and during the interview, uh, he's going to, we're going to, we're going to play some music. So I'll ask him some questions, you know, kind of see how he got his start, give his story. And then as we're doing that, he's going to play some, you know, have his guitar out in his little listening room at home, which is, I sent you a picture of what it looks like. It's awesome. Oh, it's awesome. He has all these albums everywhere. So he's going to, we're just going to kind of bounce back and forth between questions and, and we're going to do this and we're going to do a, a, a Venmo thing where, uh, the proceeds are going to go to a local business. We haven't picked out the local business yet. Going local business. Yes. That's yes. awesome. Obviously not pride, not the brick house, no. definitely not the Guanty law firm, but yeah, <laughs> But no, we're going to pick out a local business who what you know, a good deal. might be struggling a little bit and have, you know, they can Venmo in virtual tips, if you will. And, you know, it's going to be fun. I'm excited. That's awesome. I'm excited about to do it. One, hear good music, hear Billy's story, make some money for some some locals and, you know, slaying, slaying, brother. Slay on. I got, I got one thing I need to add. Um, with all this research you do before we have guests going mm-hmm. forward, you think you could um, share a little with me? I can have a little something. I, I do share it with table. you. I mean, it's granted during it's during the show, but, <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I have been sharing it with you. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, I, th- I think that's a wrap. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. You've been listening to the Eat, Say, Live podcast. And we are the Loxicutioners. And we want the Rolling Stones and Dave's Walk In, Walk Out song. Bring it on home. Keep alive. I was in my love to never to come back